We give thanks to you, O God, we give thanks, for your name is near. We recount your wondrous deeds. At the set time that I appoint, I will judge with equity. When the earth totters and all its inhabitants, it's I who keep steady its pillars, Selah. I say to the boastful, do not boast, and to the wicked, do not lift up your horn. Do not lift up your horn on high, or speak with haughty neck. For not from the east or the west, and not from the wilderness comes lifting up, but it is God who executes justice. Judgment, putting down one and lifting up another. For in the hand of the Lord there's a cup with foaming wine, well mixed, and he pours out from it, and all the dreg- wicked of the earth shall drain it down to the dregs. But I will declare it forever. I will sing praises to the God of Jacob. All the horns of the wicked I will cut off, but the horns of the righteous shall be lifted up. That's Psalm 75, which along with Psalm 76 are the psalms appointed for today, Saturday, February the 5th, 2022. You're listening to Faith Seeking Understanding, and I'm your host, John Green. Thanks for being along. We're continuing our look at um, prophetic, prophetic word of Isaiah, chapter 57, verses 3 to 13 today, uh, in the epistle of Paul to the church in Galatia, chapter 5, verse 25, through chapter 6, verse 10, and then in Mark's gospel, chapter 9, verses 14 to 29. So we're, we'll be looking at today... God's case against his people, and the, the case is to call them to repentance, to recognize them, for them to recognize that they deserved the punishment that he meted out on them in the exile in Babylon, but it would be equally true of today. It's the, the problem, I, I just was thinking earlier um, about a guy who used to pastor a church here who had been in trouble twice um, for different issues, related kinds of issues in, in two different places and ended up leaving here. And then um, I read some of his writing today, and, and he's a guy who sort of pretends to take responsibility for what he's done, but then will tell all manner of lies around that. And, and it's, he's, so he's still protecting himself from the truth. And we have to sometimes just find that truth. We have to to come starkly face-to-face with who we are in order to move forward in Christ Jesus, because we have to be forgiven. But in order to forgive, we can't make excuses for our sin that has to be made manifest. They have to be just confessed. And so here in, in this passage, he says, But you draw near, sons of the sorceress, offspring of the adulterer, and the loose woman. It's a powerful and painful way to start this passage, but it's a, it's a call to say this is who you are. This is the reason you're here. Be realistic about why your situation is what it is. He says, whom are you mocking? Against whom do you open your mouth wide and stick out your tongue? Are you not children of transgression, the offspring of deceit? You who burn with lust among the oaks under every green tree, who slaughter your children in the valleys under the clefts of the rocks? I mean, I don't know that God could raise a charge more strongly than he does here in this particular passage. Um, but, it, but he goes on again and again. My friend Steve Green and I were talking about this the other day, that there's so much in the prophetic word that refers to sexual immorality, and, and, and mostly what it's referring to is spiritual adultery of the nation, but it, because it has accepted all these other, quote, lovers and, and made sacrifices to these things. And he is the lover of Israel. That's the whole point of Hosea's prophecy, but also 
Hosea's living prophetic word in marrying an unfaithful woman and then receiving her back after she's gone away with her lovers. And, and so it's, that's a uh, parallel for God's relationship to a wayward people who go after other gods. He said, among the smooth stones of your valley is your portion. They, they are your lot. To them, you've poured out a drink offering. You brought a grain offering. Shall I relent for these things? I mean, when my people go away and go astray, should I allow that to happen? Should I not? Do I? Am I not jealous for my people? Should I not do whatever it takes to bring them back to me, to, to awaken them from their apostasy? On a high and lofty mountain, you've set your bed, and there you went up to offer sacrifice. Behind the door in the doorpost, you have set up your memorial. Remember that on the outside of a Jewish household is supposed to be a mezuzah, which is a portion of the law. There's a little bit of that there. And it's a sign and a symbol when you come to the house that you've come to a Jewish home. And so here he says, behind the door and the doorpost, you've set up your memorial. For deserting me, you've uncovered your bed. You've gone up to it and you've made it wide and you've made a covenant for yourself with them. You have loved their bed. You have looked on nakedness. You journeyed to the king with oil and multiplied your perfumes. You sent your envoys far off and sent down even to Sheol. You were weary, wearied with the length of your way, but you did not say it's hopeless. You found new life for your strength, and so you were not faint. So he's saying that you continued to go after all these other things. You have sought help and hope in all these other places other than me. You have sought to find the answers to your problems elsewhere when actually you're the problem. It's this seeking elsewhere. It's the wayward heart that's the actual problem. Whom did you dread and fear so that you lied and do not remember me, did not lay it to heart? Have I not held my peace even for a long time and you don't fear me? I mean, God's patient. He waits for us to repent. He calls us to repentance. He's given us of his Holy Spirit, and he wants us to repent and become new people. And yet, what do we do, right? So uh, he, de- he held back judgment. I will declare your righteousness in your deeds, but they won't profit you. When you cry out, let your collection of idols deliver you. The wind will carry them all off, a breath that will take them away. But he who takes refuge in me shall possess the land and shall inherit my holy mountain. And again, I'm thinking about this guy, and I read one of his blog posts from about three years ago, and, and what he said was is that Jesus is not the way, the truth, and the life, that there are multiple ways to get to the Father, and, and that we have misinterpreted Rev, or John 14, 6, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, no man comes to the Father but by me. What he says is, no, I've chosen this particular way, and I, I'm telling you that this particular way that I'm on leads to the Father, but he's not saying anything more than that, and and that we have gotten it wrong. Well, it's highly unlikely that for two millennia the church have gotten it wrong, and and now he's encouraging people to take other ways. He says Jesus is a really good way. It's a reliable way to the Father, but it's not the only way. So you may be pursuing other things, and so he's given up the faith that he had, and that's what this looks like. That's what it looks like. It, It looks like the denial of the scandal of particularity that Jesus is the only way to the Father. It's important that we accept that truth and that we not go after other things and not trust in other things, that we not trust in, right now, politicians. We not trust in, you know, our lawyers. We not trust in all this other stuff that ultimately God's judge and God is the one who will bring about what is best. 
in the long term, but but we would rather put our trust in all these other things or in our own activity even. In the gospel, remember they've just gone up on the Mount of Transfiguration and they come back down. He comes back to the disciples and what does he find? A great crowd around them and scribes arguing with them. I mean, it's chaotic environment, essentially. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, Jesus, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. So he brings the, the peace. He brings, he brings clarity. He brings what we needed, that is order, out of this chaos that's there. He asked them, what are you arguing about with them? And then somebody from the crowd answered him, teacher, I brought my son to you, teacher again, here we go, rabbi again, and that his, him saying it is different than Peter saying it, but at the same time, he didn't bring his child to, to the teacher. He, he didn't, there's not for lack of knowledge that he brought him here. He didn't come so that this teacher could impart something. No, I brought my son to you for he has a spirit that makes him mute, M-U-T-E, and whenever it seizes him, it throws him down and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out and they were not able. So this child's having seizures. You know, before this, I didn't have any earthly idea what this would look like. But over the last six months or so, I've seen it. I know what this looks like and I know the frustration, the fear of not being able to control something and not knowing what to do in that situation and the desire to see my son healed of having these seizures. So he answered them, Oh, faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. In other words, they couldn't cast him out, the, the demon out. So, so why? You know, is this going to go on forever? I can't always be here. He's, he's, um, he desires to pass from this to something else. And so they brought the boy to him. And when the spirit saw him, sort of like with the garrison demoniac, when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy and he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And it's often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. I mean, he is, this man's desperate because he knows that he can't always be with the boy. And so this spirit has tried to kill him. He says, it's throwing him into water. It's throwing him into fire. And, I, and I'm at wit's end. I need this to end. And so if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus says, if you can, if you can all things are possible for one who believes. And immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. So what does he believe? He believes Jesus can do something. But he recognizes that his faith is not 100%. He's not like the Syrophoenician woman. He's not like the, the ruler of the synagogue who, who says, you know, or the centurion who says, all you got to do is speak the word and it'll be done. He, does, he, he says, I don't have that faith yet. I'm not there. I don't have all of that. But please help my unbelief. I recognize that I'm not all the way please help me. And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, you mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out and the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said he's dead. And I get that. Again, I absolutely get it, why they would think that and what it looks like. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up and he arose. I'm telling you, 
if you've ever been with somebody who had a seizure, you, you don't just pick them up and that they go as soon as that ends. No, there, there's a recovery time and there's a weakness. You couldn't pick him up. I mean, I, I've had to literally pick Will up and he's taller than I am and he's about my same size. So it's not easy to do that, but that's not what happens here. Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up and he arose. And when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we cast it out? And he said to them, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. And again, to go back to what I was talking about earlier, it's, it's, it, you're trying to do it on your, under your own power. You need to stop trying to do things under your own power. You need to stop and you need to pray and you need to ask the Father to do it. So you couldn't cast him out. You never will be able to cast out demons. You'll only be able to cast out demons through the Father, through the power of the Holy Spirit, through my name. As so long as you stand in my shoes and that my righteousness covers you, then you can safely use my name to do these things. But it's a matter of prayer, not personal power that resides permanently in you in the same way that it does in me. In the uh, epistle today, Remember, he was talking yesterday about the distinction between living by the Spirit and living by the flesh, and the, and the, the flesh led to all these horrible behaviors that he said, you, if you do these things, you're not going to inherit the kingdom of God, and then, then sets that distinct from the fruit of the Spirit by pursuing life in the Spirit, then, you, then you'll have that peace, joy, faith, loving kindness, all that, self-control. He says, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let's not become conceited, provoking one another or envying one another. Brothers, if anyone's caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. It's the recognition that that we are all prone to sin. I, mean, I, I remember hearing Gordon MacDonald, who was a, a powerful evangelical leader in the in the eighties, and um, he, he he talked about. I've told this before, I'm sure, that uh, being asked the question, um, Gordon, if Satan was going to get you today, what would he do? And he said, well, I don't, you know, it's a good question. I don't really know the answer to that, but I know that it wouldn't be at the level of interpersonal relationships, for instance, where our marriage, and he said a year later, he was listening to the radio, Christian talk radio, and heard his failing, sexual failing, um, his adultery being talked about on the radio while he was riding around with his wife because she knew by that point too. And so we do need to be not not judgmental about sin, but we need to restore people with a spirit of gentleness. And, and we do it based on their confession and their repentance and the humility that we would see from them. And that's the deal with the guy that I was talking about earlier is just, I've never seen any humility in this guy at all. I mean, he, he still says, well, that was blown out of proportion. Well, it, things get blown out of proportion a lot in his life, more so than in my life, apparently. Um, and but, it, but we've got to be able to able to restore people gently. We've got to recognize that we ourselves are capable of any of those things, but we're more capable of it if we won't acknowledge it, if we won't confess it, if we if we make excuses for it. He says, bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. He's going to say in a minute about each bearing his own load. This is the difference between a load and a burden. A load is that which you're expected to carry. This is what a person can carry. And and the burden is an excess over the load. And so, so whenever somebody's got more on them than normal, then we need to be gentle with them, and we need to help them bear those burdens. We need to come alongside. Now, there are a lot of people. <laughs> in the world and in the church who aren't willing to bear their own bur- own load. And so then they want to dump that off on other people. And, and 
no is the answer to that. No, you've got to bear your own load. So in between this, bearing another's burdens and fulfilling the law of Christ and bearing your own load, he says, but let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. And so it's, it's not, we're, we're not making too much of one another. We're not making much of, of ourselves. We're making, fun of the, making much of the Spirit in us that enables anything to happen. We, we need to tend to our knitting is the main thing, that we need to, to bear one another's burdens whenever we see somebody has got more on them than, than they can imagine. And people bore our burdens for us while Will was in intensive care and, and throughout that healing process. Um, but now the life stuff is our own load, you know, and so we don't ask so much, and we don't we don't reach out as much as we did during that period of time because it's not right to ask other people to constantly bear that load that we have. <laughs> Let the one who is taught sh- the word share all good things with the one who teaches. In other words, don't muzzle the ox. You know, if, if somebody's bringing you the word and, and, and teaching, then you need to share with them. You need to bless them in whatever way you can bless them, financially or otherwise. Don't be deceived, by the way. God is not mocked for whatever one sows that he will also reap. You don't get away with things ultimately, is what he's saying. The one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap, and if we do not give up, No, if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. And what Paul's saying is is that charity begins at the home, right? Just like judgment begins at the household of God, so does charity. It's exactly the way the church was originally set up when we see the very early church in the very first parts of Acts. The reason that they ended up having to have deacons was because you had Greek widows and Jewish widows and and orphans, and so they were they were alleging that there was a distinction being made between the two of them in the daily distribution of food, and so the 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 church right from the start was providing for the needs of those who were members of the church. It's one of the great things in Judaism. One of the things that I've talked about before is is that if if you convert to Judaism then it presents a little bit of a problem for the community because the community is obliged to provide for itself. And so new converts then become somebody who's potentially going to receive welfare. And that's the reason when Paul speaks to the Thessalonians, he said, if you don't work, you don't eat. If you're capable of working, you got to work. You don't get to sit around and do nothing. Um, and it, But what is doing nothing, right? Um, is it somebody who's able-bodied and able to work and won't work um, at the job that they're given to do? So... What we have to say is is that charity does indeed begin at home. Just like judgment begins at the household of God, so does our charity and our love. If we can't love those who are brothers and sisters in Christ, then it's really hard to love those people who don't share those values and who are not in tune or in line with us. It's far easier to begin to love people when, when we have Jesus in common. And so it begins there. And then we, we begin to express and extend that love out beyond the bounds of our family and our church um, and, and, our, and our brothers and sisters. And, and then comes the hard part of loving, is to extend that same love into the world, into those who don't know Jesus.